Hello everyone and welcome to Radically Normal. My name is Andre and I'm here with Michael and on today's episode we'll be discussing the crossing of the Red Sea and continuing our journey through the book of Exodus with chapters 14 and 15. Hope you guys enjoy the discussion. Man, we have been just so heavy on recording interviews lately that it's been a couple weeks few weeks, maybe a month even, since we've been looking a ton at Exodus. But before we dive in and cover the exciting part of Exodus that comes to mind and, uh, for everyone after the plagues, uh, I thought maybe you could share with everyone the story of when you just received a new coffee mug in the mail. <laughs> oh, that's too good. Uh, I'm actually going to grab the, the coffee mug as a visual aid that no one will ever get to see. But maybe you can hear the, you can hear the metal. So, um, so if you guys can think about a coffee mug, you know, it has a base, you know, it's, it's, it's hollow inside. So you can put coffee in and then there's Thanks a handle. For that. Yeah. And typically, you know, you got your handle, you're going to pick it up with your dominant hand, which in my case is the right, you know, before we stray too far off, off path, um, as I see Michael with his, his coffee mug in his hand. Uh, so Michael, uh, used to do this thing where he would uh, send like a gift to, to someone like once a month. And like I got a gift from Michael like a while back and it was like a bunch of like uh, like New Testament. Yeah, with, like, for people, for yeah, for people's sake, they're the ESV illuminated scripture journals. Yeah. And so I, I get this package and I thought it was for my roommate or something. And I was like, what is this? So I was for Michael, open it up. It's a, it's a nice Yeti. Uh, coffee mug it's blue it's really nice high quality and so you know i text him I'm like oh thanks for the gift really appreciate it really like the color really thoughtful and, and that was it so just so you know before andre says what it was for all i got was i like this this is a good upgrade my old mug is kind of old yeah well i had only looked at like the side that i would be you know facing while holding it with my right hand why well, like set it down make dinner you know go on with my life it's about I don't know, 11 or so <clears throat> at this point, um, my girlfriend, Annie had come over to hang out with me and my roommate. Well, was we that were... her first mention on the podcast by name? Mm, I don't think so. Maybe. <laughs> um, it's okay. Our girlfriends don't listen to this anyway. Uh, <laughs> actually my girlfriend listens to, to a lot of this stuff, but my fiance said the other day, you know, I feel bad that I don't listen to every episode, but when I have free time to sit down and relax, I don't want to hear a conversation between you and Andre. And I have to say, I was a little offended. You know, I'm actually still waiting on a call from her. Um, <laughs> All right, quick. back to the story. So we All get... right. So I set it down, I was cooking. Girlfriend come over around like eight or nine or so. She was leaving at around 11. Me, her, and my roommate were watching TV. And she sees it and she was like, oh, that's a really nice gift for Michael. And I was like, yeah, I think it was a late birthday present or something. And she goes, no, it's not. And starts laughing and just like opens the door and walks out. So I pick it up and I'm like, yes, it is. And I, then I finally turn it around and on the other side. It has my name on it with like a mountain. And then it says best man for the Beatrice wedding. And I'm like, I'm like, I totally messed up because my response to Michael and I text was just not uh, what it should have been. So I like FaceTimed him and, and corrected course. and was like, oh, thanks, man. I appreciate it. You know? <laughs> Yeah, and I had I had gotten your response and been like, you know, Andre is not the type of person to pour a ton of emotion into his text, but I expected more than just I liked the color. So it was good to hear that its intended purpose was finally received. And to make the most cheesy bridge ever, today what we've been reading in Exodus 
has come to a culmination. Now, we still have Mount Sinai to come, a higher point perhaps in the story, but God has been doing these plagues to get his people out of Egypt, and today we see their actual exodus. They leave Egypt, and God gets his glory over Pharaoh. We read back in Exodus 9, 14 through 16. I think Andre read it on the on the podcast a couple weeks ago about how God said he's going to get his glory over Pharaoh, that, is, that that might proclaim his name among the nations. And so we're going to see those themes today. You want to jump in for us, chapter 14? Yeah, we better jump in. I gave a little bit of a longer story to, to it start us off. And now it's, it's really going to come back to bite me because I'm really going to have to see if I can get Michael to speed, speed through um, these two chapters before our interview and in a little bit of time. So hopefully we can get we can get through everything. Uh, so let's go ahead and, and, and jump in to chapter 14. Um, you know, so as Michael said, you know, we're, we're coming out of all the plagues. Um and then we get to the point where, um, you know, after all of these plagues and, and the dying of the firstborns, and, um, you know, we had seen Pharaoh as well as all of his, you know, the leaders of, of you know, you know, those who were close to him and all that. They're starting to become frustrated. They're seeing that, you know, maybe there's more than we thought uh, to this Yahweh. So let these people go. Let's get rid of them. It'll be better for us in the end. And um, as Pharaoh seems to have done uh, many times before, and, and as we, we kind of talked about, um, where, you know, their intent was to go out to the wilderness and um, to worship uh, to Yahweh. Uh, and then, you know, Pharaoh says he'll let them. And then he says, no, you can't. Um, and now we kind of see this the same type of thing. Um, and we see that Pharaoh, you know, now he decides, I don't want them to actually leave um, with all of our, our gold and, and, and everything and, and, you know, you know, it feels like, you know, they're, they're just leaving. We should have just kept them here to work for us and, and all of that. And so that's where we are at now. Um, yeah, you have anything else to, to uh, help kick stop with, Michael? Yeah, I think beginning chapter 14, I mean, we have these geographic locations in our context. We're not, we don't know where those places are. Like historically, if we looked at maps, we do, but like contextually for us, it's not like if somebody just said Phoenix and we're like, oh, we know where that is in the United States or something like that. We don't know. We can't visualize unless like you've studied a lot where these are on a map, which is why reading with a map is good. But if you just read the first couple verses, they actually change course. So uh, it looks like they've been heading east, maybe southeast, and now they ended up going like north east north primarily and they're headed towards a sea which is really weird because they you know you're headed towards a sea typically that's not the best course of escape because you have nowhere to go now we know the story and we're going to get to how that is important but it is a change of direction and god's leading them somewhere where from a human perspective alone it would just be a disaster. And then verse four is important because God reiterates his purpose. I will get glory over Pharaoh. God's showing that he is the God of the nations. He's the, he is king over not just Israel, but over everything. And he demands loyalty, allegiance, and he refuses to accept idolatry. Pharaoh and the Egyptian God stand up to Israel's God. Israel's God shows himself that he's not just territorial or bound to Israel. And so that's Andre's kind of been summing up these verses, the first eight perhaps. Um, and so, like like he said, the Egyptians, verse nine, they pursue uh, the Israelites, 
And so as we get into this story, though, it's worth recognizing that we're getting into a story, and that we could say this at the end or now, a story that's going to reverberate throughout the Old Testament and into the New as like a founding story. So Leon Cass, he's actually a Jewish philosopher. He, write, he wrote a commentary on Exodus, but he talks about this as part of their founding story. So any people, anything important for even a company or an organization, but especially a people, is the founding story, and the Exodus is going to be part of that uh, for Israel. So those be kind of my comments about the first first little section here. Yeah, that's really good. And, and you know, just wanted to, you know, reiterate your point about, uh, you know, verse four. And, you know, we're going to see a little bit later on as well how, uh, you know, maybe this idea wasn't the first idea or, or what the people thought might be best. Uh, but we what we do see is that as um, the Lord says, he's going to, to you know, show um, his glory uh, you know, really to everyone um, that that's, you know, playing, playing a part in this, in the story that we're seeing. And as we see, begin to unravel and, you know, because, you know, ourselves and all the listeners, you know, know where, where this is headed. Um, you know, we understand why this is necessary, but it also gives us this look into um, how, you know, God had this plan, uh, you know, really ultimately to, to deliver them. We continue to see that, that theme of, of deliverance, um, of God, you know, knowing how his plan is, is going to, you know, end up delivering um, his people, despite, um, you know, despite the people of Israel not fully trusting, not really fully understanding. Um, and that's kind of where we get into um, after, you know, these first eight verses that, that, Michael, just, that Michael just summed up for us. Yeah, so after that, I mean, we see Egyptians are pursuing them, and they just have all of these manly, or manly meaning worldly, earthly type of things that are going to battle. Horses and chariots and horsemen and army, and like, you know, if you know the story, you read that, and you're like, the god of the plagues versus these things? Like, good luck, Egypt. And then so Pharaoh draws near. So the people of Egypt, so Israel like turns around or whatever, they see Egypt behind them. And then they almost, they sound like they have before. They sound like they are going to in next week's episode as well, when they're grumbling in the wilderness, they sound like they're going to in numbers, but they also sound like Moses when he was whining against what God wanted to do in Exodus three and four. And they say in verse 11, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you've taken us to die out here? Uh, And then later, It'd have been better if we had just been, if we just stayed in Egypt. Um, and this is kind of like the grass is greener on the other side because when they were in Egypt, they hated it. It was not a good situation there either. And then uh, I'll hand this off to you, but Moses then gives them a just magnificent word of exhortation coming up in verse 13. Hey, this, this part is, is super interesting to me uh, with these complaints um, you know, by the people to Moses, uh, to the Lord. Um, you know, there was this, this movie, I forget what it's called. Uh, trying to look it up here on the spot. Uh, it, it's a movie about all of this. It's, it's more of like an animation. Um, I don't know if Michael can help me out while I, while I, while I make this point, but, um, uh, you know, essentially in the movie, you see like all the chariots and, and the horses and, and all the men with their spears or whatever it is that they fight with at this time. I'm not sure if it's spears, honestly. Um, you know, chasing after them. And, and you see, you know, also this picture of, um, you know, of Israel with, you know, their donkeys and, and, and their animals and they're carrying, um, you know, 
bags and, and, and food and, and there's, you know, children running, you know, around, and, uh, they're, you know, going towards the sea and, and you just see like this, this difference in, in, in urgency. Right. And I was just thinking to, uh, you know, a lot of times, you know, when we see this purpose, um, or, you know, this plan that, that God might, may have before us. Right. And, and, you know, what, what we need to do, you know, might be right in front of us might be really clear and you, we might even need to have some urgency. And it seems like, um, you know, Pharaoh and all the Egyptians, they, they have this urgency. And I'm just thinking, you know, why are they spending this time arguing back against God and against Moses when there's clearly all these people that are coming out to get them, right? You know, their, their options are either to trust God's plan or essentially they don't and they're just going to die. So, you know, even in that situation where they're, where they're faced with either, you know, certain death or to trust in, in the Lord, they still, you know, seem to um, you know, fall short of this um, idea of, you know, trusting, having faith in this plan. And, and they just go back to, you know, maybe we should just surrender. Maybe we should just, we should have just stayed back. Uh, you know, they're, they're unhappy with all of this. And, and this is this idea that um, we continue to see um, throughout this entire book. And, and we, we, we have seen uh, how there's this, you know, lack of confidence um, where, whereas, you know, now reading this, looking back, um, not to critique what they've done, but more so to, to think of the, of the confidence we should have in that, you know, our God is a deliverer um, and, and how much hope that should give us. Yeah, uh, going back to your comment, you said an animation, right? I've only seen uh, the movie depiction of this called Exodus Gods and Kings with, uh, who is it? I have it right here. Uh, Christian Bale played Moses. Uh, that came out in 2014. Uh, I have to say, it's a little weird. They had like a little small child depicting God, like talking at the burning bush. Really weird. Anyways, uh, a friend who actually walked through Exodus with this spring, so that's kind of one of the reasons we're doing it on on the podcast. Uh, he he wanted to watch that after we had gone through the narrative and just seen, you know, how accurate is it or all that stuff. So that's the only movie depiction I've seen. So I can't now, help you there. Now, now that I uh, had a chance to look it up online, it's called The Prince of Egypt. So I've heard that talked about a ton. I've never seen it, um, but oh well. So yeah, like you said, uh, I don't know. This is a really interesting narrative because then in verse 15, the Lord says to Moses, why do you cry to me? But if Moses hasn't been crying, the people of God have been crying. And so either A, we have a singular where it should be plural and not in the sense of the, the verse is wrong or written incorrectly, but just in the sense of, it doesn't matter how we're using it and it's kind of interchangeable or it's purposeful and Moses, like Jesus will be, is being identified with the people's sin. Remember that, or not remember because we'll get there, but later in the narrative, Moses is actually going to offer himself as like a sacrifice on behalf of the people after the golden calf incident. So Moses potentially being identified with the people's sin. And then remember, God isn't every day we're trying to like hear it, like especially today, everyone wants to hear like a new word from God, a new will of God. God is asking and telling us the same great glorious truths he always has been telling his people. Notice in verse 17, I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host. Well, he actually said the same thing right in verse 4 that I read earlier. I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue them and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host. So the reassuring word of God is the same word he's already told them. And then in verse 18, the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And so throughout the Old Testament into the New, God's goal is the knowledge of him to cover uh, the earth. And so that's what I'd say about that section. And, you know, we're going to see that 
this, you know, getting glory over Pharaoh and, and all his hosts is, is really that, you know, is really seen in their lives uh, that, that they're going to lose. So uh, they're going to see the glory of God, but they're not going to um, get to remember it for long because they're going to die. Um, but, it is, but it is a super interesting point that, that you made, Michael, about um, how Moses really takes on a lot of, of you know, the responsibility for, um, you know, speaking on behalf of all of the people um, and, and, and all of that. Um, not something that I, I had really uh, thought about um, in preparation for the episode, but I definitely really, really like that and uh, kind of um, goes along, uh, you know, with kind of with the next point, um, which is is how we see this this first mention of um, the angel of God, you know, going before um, the host of Israel. And you're going to see like this this guiding uh, relationship. Um, that we're going to get to continue to see and, and see how, you know, just as, you know, the Lord is going to talk to Moses and, and, and tell him, you know, why do you cry to me? You know, what, you know, this um, responsibility that Moses has, you know, to kind of speak to God, you know, for all the people and, and, you know, come in and, and try to, you know, intercede on, on the behalf of all these sins and all these outcries and all these things that keep going um, on amongst the people. You know, we also see, uh, this introduction of, well, also God is going to provide this guidance. He's going to, um, you know, go before them um, and, you know, protect them, you know, be the one who delivers them. So it's not just, you know, the Lord telling Moses, why do you cry to me? You know, figure it out yourself. It's also, I'm providing you with this guidance and that you should take, and that's, that's going to help you. It's going to deliver you. Um, and so it's kind of this you know, this relationship between um, the Lord um, and, you know, Moses and the people that, that we get to begin to see here. Yeah, I like that. And the only other comment I'll make is uh, it's kind of hard to pick up if you only read through a book one time, but if you read through it multiple times, slow and meditatively, and then also quickly to, to get overview and to for a reminder to see it all as one text, think about how different themes and concepts and realities I mean, Exodus is a literary masterpiece. There's not a mistake, and it all flows together. And think about how different ideas or placements work together. So what was the beginning of the Exodus narrative? Well, it was God's call of Moses in chapter 3 with the burning bush, and there the angel of the Lord appeared to him, chapter 3, verse 2. Now in 14, 19, the angel of the Lord goes before Israel. And so the angel marks the beginning of the Exodus story and the end as they're coming out of it, out of Egypt. And then note, like, at the end of chapter 13, didn't say this at the beginning or I think even last week, but the... Uh, we have that there's a fire, the pillar of fire did not depart from the people, which was present with them at night. And when we get to the end of this Exodus account in their journey through the wilderness, when they get to Sinai in verse in chapter 19, there's going to be another demonstration or presence of the Lord via fire, another mention of that. And so we kind of see like bookcases where these themes pop up in Mark beginnings and ends. And so that's just kind of more of an overview comment, I guess. And then we kind of get to, to verse 21, where Moses stretches out his hand over the sea. The Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind. Remember that it was also an east wind that brought in the plague of the locusts back in chapter 10. Um, and so that there's punishment both ways here. Both were salvific for Israel. Both were punishing and judging towards Egypt. So 
What do you have to say here? Moses stretches out his hand, the seas come up like a wall, and the people part through. I mean, obviously, there's a lot more to the text, but what do you see here? Yeah, so the first thing is, uh, I guess... Guys, I think I think Andre was busy eating his pear, and then he was therefore late in, in responding. Yeah, I forgot to unmute, unfortunately. <laughs> I was just watching my but what I was trying to say is going back to, to verse 16, not to belabor any points or anything like that, but, you know, we see this instruction instruction to lift up uh, the staff. Um, and then, you know, we continue to see that, you know, what is this going to do? What's well, going to cause all of Pharaoh's men and, and, you know, the horses and chariots and all of that uh, to all, you know, be drowned. And so we again see, you know, the power of the staff, which we've, you know, talked about, um, you know, but here, uh, you know, it's not just this time an instance of um, this staff performing some kind of, you know, wonder or, or miracle or whatever, like turning into a snake, which is just going to, you know, um, you know, demonstrate that the power of God is, is you know, with Moses and Moses is speaking for, for, for Yahweh. But now it's like, no, like this glory we've been talking about, it's, it's not just going to be a snake that appears. It's going to be, uh, you know, the seas parting and then when you know when Yahweh wants it to it's going to close back up again and and basically engulf all of all the people who are who are who are attacking um Moses and 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 the rest of Israel and and then the last point that I wanted to make um in verse uh, 25 uh is when the Egyptians say let's flee from before Israel for the Lord fights for them and against the Egyptians so we see that you know in the, the last words that they get to speak are you know, them acknowledging uh, the glory of Yahweh, which they now um, understand. And just as, as the Lord had said at the beginning of the, of the chapter, that uh, what was going to happen was that they were going to see his glory and, you know, they were going to understand that, that he truly was, uh, you know, was God. Um, so that's, that's the, the two main things there. Yeah, and I will just say we still have a whole other chapter and the our, the interview that we have with a awesome guest that y'all get to hear later this season is in 15 or so minutes. And uh, so just kind of moving through the narrative, the Lord is going to end up throwing the Egyptians into the sea, which is not just significant in terms of punishment and judgment and triumph of God, but also a reversal of what Egypt itself had tried to do. Egypt itself had tried to cause death by the power of water over those children. God takes a child out of that water. And then how does he eventually get victory over the Egyptians? they die in the in the water. And so what they had wanted to be an agent of death, Yahweh now throws back in their face, which I just think is is incredible. And then in verse 29, the people of Israel walk on dry ground through the sea. And remember, they'd just been whining. God's deliverance of them is not dependent on their own ability, their own merit, their own love for him. Just like in Romans chapter 5, I've uh, been studying that this week. Romans chapter 5, God sent his son to die for his enemies. While we were still sinners, God died, or God, G- Christ died for us. He justifies the ungodly. And so it wasn't their own merit. that I mean, they were just whining earlier this chapter. And so he saves Israel from the hand of the Egyptians, and they see their God's power to deliver them. That's really good. And then I guess just in these, in these last uh, two verses before we move on to chapter 15, that hopefully we can get through... Uh, Pretty quickly for the the first first half of it, uh, we saw we see that in verse thirty one 
Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians, so the people feared the Lord when they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. So at least for now, we see that things are good. Uh, the people, uh, they have trust in the Lord. They fear the Lord, which I think is important to, to key in on that. Um, you know, we see the belief as well as the fear um, and how those two, uh, you know, work hand in hand. And then, you know, we see that, you know, they have these same sentiments towards Moses. Uh, and, and so, you know, they are now to believe that, you know, as Yahweh speaks to Moses, they should obey uh, what Moses is telling them that the Lord has has instructed for them to do. Um, and then the last point off of what Michael said about, you know, how this kind of uh, portrays or, you know, points to points to Jesus. Um, you know, one point that is in uh, my study Bible that I wanted to, you know, just point out because I think it's really, really good is that, you know, uh, Yahweh, you know, worked through Moses, um, you know, through, you know, the sin and, and all the complaints and everything going on with Egypt and all that um, to deliver them. Um, and he, you know, he had to have this like step in moment where, where the Lord really, you know, displayed his, his power and glory, um, you know, to his people so that they would, you know, fear him, believe him, um, as well as, you know, those who speak for him and how that is, you know, basically the exact same thing uh, that happened with Jesus. Uh, I'm not sure if you have anything else for chapter 14, Michael. If not, feel free to, to jump right into 15. Chapter 15, I want to say this before we dive into the actual lyrics, the actual words of the song of Moses. Uh, just as a song in general, I think we can see the picture in our lives today. We are saved by grace through faith. We come into the community of faith, and one of the things we do weekly, even two or three times weekly, um, some places, is we sing to God as a result of our salvation and our joy in Him. And it's not just, oh, it's a nice thing that we do. No, no, no. It is a thing for the people of God throughout the Bible. So we have Exodus. There's songs like this in Judges 4 and 5. In Samuel, we see stuff like this. Isaiah is has language like this. And then the New Testament, we see songs at the beginning of the Gospel of Luke, Revelation, they are singing to their God who has saved them. And in fact, we even have a reference to the song of Moses in Revelation 15. And so song is a way that God's people respond to his acts of deliverance. So that's just what I would say before we even get into it. And uh, we're gonna. I'm just going to give another overview comment and let you dive in. But here we're going to see a lot of attributes of God, a lot of praise of who God is. So it's not just like we talk about ourselves once we're saved. No, no, no. We talk about God. He's, verse 2, our strength, song, salvation. Verse 3, man of war. Verse 6, glorious and omnipotent. Verse 11, majestic, holy, awesome. Verse 13, steadfast in love. Verse 18, he's the king. And so this song is about God and who he is. It's incredible. That's really good. And that's definitely, you know, the first the first thing that we see a lot of the characteristics um, as the Lord is my strength. And we're seeing that this is really like a cry of uh, not so much like a battle cry, but more so like a, we won this battle uh, thanks to the Lord cry. And, and you know, they're, they're saying how, how strong the Lord is, um, how he saved them. Um, and now, you know, they're going to exalt him. And then also at the end of verse two, um, we see, you know, this instance of my father's God. I think yes. that, that kind of, um, at least to me, Michael, you can go ahead and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you know, uh, really what I, what I, what I saw there was, you know, how important we've seen, um, you know, throughout all of our discussions on, on the podcast, um, and how, you know, I always 
I always make jokes about the genealogies and all that, but really how important <laughs> it, was, uh -huh. it was to them um, that, you know, this is the same God um, throughout history who had, you know, spoken to their ancestors and um, and how that kind of plays a role in, in, in how they um, view Yahweh and how they view everything going on um, through that lens. Um, and then kind of ending in verse three, you know, the Lord is, is a man of war. The Lord is his name. So like, this is, this is our God. He's the one who delivered us. He's the one who saved us. He's strong and, and, and mighty and worthy. And, and, you know, we're going to sing and, and, and worship him and praise him because of that. Uh, so I'll let you jump right into uh, verse four. No, I think that's exactly right. Back in verse two, you said, my father's God, it ties the story of Israel to previous generations that have looked forward to this day. I mean, back to Abraham. And so, yeah, super good. Uh, and then, yeah, continuing through, I mean, some of these verses are recounting the story and they're recounting it right after, but we are to recount the story of God's people today. I mean, we sing about these things. I mean, uh, Andre and I both like Maverick City and one of their songs, uh, it's called Promises, right? But I mean, it begins, uh, God of Abraham, you're the God of covenant. And I might be messing that up, but that's the gist of what the beginning of the song says. And we are singing about things that happened thousands of years ago because we are, we learn about who God is through things that happened a very long time ago. And the things, and they're learning about some, they're learning about the Lord through this very recent event for them. But later in the course of history, like for us today, we're going to look back on this and see his faithfulness. And so uh, I just want to point out a couple things. Like in verse 7, we see that God's majesty is shown in how he overthrows adversaries. And so Douglas Stewart, I wanted to say this at some point in the episode, this season, I don't think I've said this so far, this season we have extended or more thorough show notes. So hopefully those are helpful both for interviews and for the episodes in Exodus. And so Douglas Stewart, his commentaries in the show notes, he talks about how his God's eventual destruction of those who oppose him, his anger against evil are not opposed to his majesty. They are inherent aspects of it. And he talks about how modern times, we want to talk about just God in a fuzzy light, but the reality of God's anger against oppression, the, the reality of God's judgment against unrighteousness is real. And it's not just real, but it displays God's glory and his righteousness. And I think Douglas Stewart's exactly right. That's really good. And then, you know, the next, the next uh, thing I wanted to discuss, maybe a question for you, Michael, I'm not sure if you even have an answer. Didn't, uh, didn't tell us and ask you this beforehand, but in verse 11, we see who is like you, O Lord among the gods. Um, and then, you know, earlier in Exodus, we've seen, you know, these discussions of, um, you know, Egypt's gods and then Yahweh, uh, you know, so at this point, you know, we know that, um, uh, you know, Israel is an understanding of who the Lord is. They're worshiping, they're praising him. You know, why is there so this discussion of, of, of other gods, um, right? Um, you know, we see that they're still saying that now the Lord is the most majestic and the most holy, but why is there still this, this discussion here? Yeah, this is actually something that causes a ton of debate. There's a guy named Michael. Oh gosh, is his first name Michael? His last name is definitely Heiser. He's written a book called The Unseen Realm, and he's written a bunch of stuff uh, related to that book. And uh, so he talks about how, based on Deuteronomy and based on some other texts in the Bible, God actually has this heavenly council of not angels, but beings below him. And so he even argues that in Job, the thing that goes and accuses Job is not, is not Satan, but is an adversary from God's council. Anyways, that's beside the point. I 
that we'll put a reference to that in the show notes. But the ref, some <laughs> people will say when gods are referenced in the Old Testament, it's purely fictitious, and it's just saying there aren't necessarily gods, other gods, but it's just saying God of Yahweh is actually just greater than all other realities. Douglas Stewart in his commentary talks about how gods is just the word Elohim, and our God, capital G, is described with the same exact word over and over. And so it's not necessarily saying that there is a reality of other gods, but it could just be talking about angels, authorities, powers, including uh, satanic sort of things, Satan, fallen angels. Um, So I guess to answer would be, it depends where you fall. If you think there's some sort of heavenly council of lower gods or heavenly beings that oversee other nations, kind of some words from Deuteronomy that we don't have time to get into, then you could say, well, God is actually greater than these other heavenly beings. Or you could just say, this text isn't affirming that other gods exist. It's just saying, whatever other nations think they worship, God is greater than those things that they think they worship. And so it just depends where you land. I'll try to put some information about that in the show notes. I wish we had more time for that, uh, but I hope that got to at least a little bit of your question. That's really good. Didn't expect you to have uh, such a such a good answer uh, on the spot, but you know, just moving on for the sake of time. Um, and I don't think we've said this yet, but we're just getting to the end of the song, so uh, verse twenty-one. Um, but we basically see uh, now moving in to you know verses 12, 13, 14, uh, We really see you know God's power and how they're um, you know saying you know just with his with your stretching out your right hand, um, you know you swallowed your your enemies. Um, and how, you know, he's redeemed them and, and, you know, they're pointing out the Lord's strength and how people, you know, moving into verse 14, how, when, you know, how people will tremble when they hear the things that have happened. Um, and then, so, you know, overall, just seeing, um, more of, of how they're, you know, worshiping the Lord for, you know, for his strength and and for, you know, really for, for being with them and, and that kind of thing. Then we see moving into verse 15 a few other people groups um, being discussed. And so I'll I'll let you talk a little bit on that, on that, Michael. Yeah. And just for listeners, our, our interviews in five minutes. So we're going to try to be quick. So yeah, so these nations, Edom, Moab, Canaan, uh, they are mentioned because they're going to be important. They're going to be important historically when Israel's going into the promised land. And so they weren't necessarily all part of the promised land, such as Edom, Moab, but they're, Israel's going to encounter these nations um, as they are going towards the promised land. And so remember when Israel, when Moses is writing this, like that's significant to the people there. And when it's being sung, it's important to the people. And then just continuing going, verse 17, God's going to plant them on a mountain. They're going to a mountainous land. God's temple is going to be set up on Mount Zion. That's theme continued all the way to Revelation. God sets his people up on a mountain. It's an inheritance for God's people. We see it go all the way through Isaiah, Zechariah 12, Zechariah 14, Hebrews 12, and then the book of Revelation. And Andre, I'll let you give some final comments. The only thing I want to say about Miriam, people can get confused about what's going on here. It We don't have time to talk about all of Miriam's functions and how she would have led other women and other people, but we do see that she would have gotten some sort of instruction from the Lord on how to guide other people. And uh, she would have been singing the same song. Uh, She would have taught other women, other people in Israel, the entire song that's quoted here. And it's just given a little shortened section so we get clued into what Miriam's role was. Just just to conclude, you know, both chapters, but specifically uh, chapter 15, 
you know, this song really uh, shows us in detail, you know, God's, uh, his strength, um, you know, how, how mighty the Lord is to deliver his people, uh, his strength over, you know, any adversary who's going to get in the way of, you know, his kingdom or, you know, just, you know, in general, uh, the overall purpose, uh, you know, Michael ha had spent some time teaching us in, in the book of Revelation. We really see how this is really a smaller picture of not only what we see in, in the New Testament with, with Jesus, but then also all the way to Revelation and, and how um, ultimately we're going to see that um, God will deliver his people and, you know, he will demonstrate his glory over his adversaries. I think that really sums up this song really well and how they are worshiping the Lord in that, um, thanking him for that, thanking him for being strong, thanking him for, for, for delivering them um, against, against Egypt. Um, and then, you know, lastly, we saw in, in chapter 14, um, really the, pretty much the same thing of how the Lord, you know, demonstrated his glory, ultimately ending up um, in the death of Pharaoh and the rest of his cohort. So come back next week for the end of uh, chapter 15. Um, and as well as chapter 16 and chapter, yeah, well, no, just part of 17. We're not going to go all the way to Sinai yet. Yeah. Part of 17. Yeah. So another big chunk next week. So tune back in for that, um, and enjoy our interviews this season as well. Uh, we hope you guys have enjoyed this episode and talk to you guys next time.